Hello and welcome to another episode of Virtual Legality. I'm your host, Richard Hogue, managing member of the Hogue Law Business Law Firm of Northville, Michigan. And when we last left the saga of Epic Games versus Apple, I told you that Apple had been denied and was running out of time. If you aren't familiar with any part of this story, please do check out the playlist, 59 videos as of this one going up. But what I meant in that video, which you can of course check out, is that Apple had been told that it couldn't use a specific provision of its app developer guidelines by the court in early September and had been given 90 days to implement the changes necessary to prevent itself from violating the court's injunction. Now, we'll talk about the specifics there in just a minute. I do want to remind folks that this is a Patreon-supported channel. We're also supported by other methods that you can see in the description of this video. But as part of that Patreon support, we offer a tier that allows you to sponsor a video a month. And for this video, I want to give special thanks to Falcus Vipus for supporting us at that tier and making videos like this possible. If you are interested in checking out how to support this channel, please do check out that Patreon or our other methods of support. Thank you. Falcus Vipus. Now, as I promised, I want to talk about exactly what was at issue here. You might recall this already, but in Epic versus Apple, Epic lost almost every charge brought against Apple. Apple is not a monopolist. Apple is not violating federal antitrust law. According to the district court, Epic is appealing all of these decisions, but that district court did give Epic one win. It said that Apple could not have this specific line in its app developer guidelines. Apps in their metadata may not include buttons, external links, or other calls to action that direct customers to purchasing mechanisms other than in-app purchase. The court referred to this, and we do as well, as the anti-steering provision that Apple was preventing its developers from steering their customers outside of the app store in order to sell them goods that would otherwise relate to the functionality of the app on the app store. Now, Apple does allow you to now, after a settlement in the Cameron case that we talked about as part of this playlist, send emails to customers that you gather from their links in your own apps on the App Store. You can send them over to your webpage. You can sell them V-Bucks or jewels or gems or crowns or whatever else it is that you're selling in your specific application, and they can use them back on the store. That's all well and good. But Apple objects to this specific injunction because it's very, very unclear. If you just aren't allowed to use this sentence, what are you allowed to prohibit? This sentence was designed to be kind of a catch-all, so they were prohibiting buttons, external links, and other calls to action. Can you have a direct link in the description of your app? In the app itself, can you have a button that sends people outside that app? That tends to look a little bit like what Epic was doing during their mega drop that started all of this anyway. And so Apple objected to this. As we talked about in our earlier video, They had to go and seek from the district court that had just made the decision against it a change of course, which is always tremendously unlikely because the judge in that case had spent her time going over the issues, came up with this specific opinion, and now a month later really wasn't very likely to reverse part of that opinion to allow for the injunction to be stayed pending appeal. And then Apple was always realistically going to appeal the injunction up one level. The district court makes its decision. Apple says, district court, will you reconsider? The district court says no, which makes sense. And then Apple says, okay, we're going to appeal this case anyway. They'd already given notice of that. And so we are going to ask that higher court, in this case, the Ninth Circuit, to stay that injunction until the appeal is over. 
Said another way, hey, the court says we can't have that provision. If we remove that provision, we have to make a number of changes to the way our store operates. That's going to cost money and time. And Apple presents that it's going to cost security issues and privacy issues and everything else. You don't have to believe that necessarily, but they're going to have to change some things in order to implement that to their satisfaction. So they go up to the Ninth Circuit and say, no, we're not terribly interested in doing that. Now, in the interim, since that video went up on November 14th, I believe it is, there have been a series of filings at that Ninth Circuit level. We're going to go over them very quickly, just so that you can understand what the lay of the land is here. I want to thank Foss Patents and Florian Mueller, apologies, for putting these documents up on Scribd. It is very helpful for our discussions here. He has a number of different takes on this particular case. He's much more concerned about how Apple operates its app store. If you're interested in an alternative take from me, I do recommend checking this out. I will link at least one of his blog posts here so that you can see his offering. And he does post these documents, which again, is very, very helpful. Now, the first of these documents was filed just a couple of days after we did our last video, which is, of course, Apple asking the Ninth Circuit to stay, to pause that injunction, to not apply it to Apple until the appeal has been heard. And as we talked about, the appeal to the Ninth Circuit can take a while. The Ninth Circuit is the busiest of our circuit courts in the United States. And we are looking in all likelihood at a couple of years for an appeal process to fully extinguish the claim one way or the other. Apple says, we shouldn't have to deal with this until you figure out whether we're right or Epic's right, so please pause. Apple says the district court found that Apple is not a monopolist in any relevant market and rejected all claims that its app store policies violate the antitrust laws. The court explained that the IAP requirements serve several pro-competitive purposes, but failed to recognize that Apple's anti-steering provisions, which help enforce the IAP requirements, serve the same purposes. There is no evidence that these provisions have anti-competitive effects in any relevant market or that plaintiff Epic Games, Inc., has been harmed by them. The court's ruling that they are quote-unquote unfair under California law and the accompanying nationwide injunction will not survive appellate review. Here's Apple saying, we're going to win, which is always one of the more fundamental questions when you're dealing with an injunction. You're asking for a preliminary court decision. This is not the full look at the situation in front of it. This is a Ninth Circuit judge or maybe judges that's going to look at this and say, uh, yeah, okay, I think that's enough. You've cast enough doubt. You've otherwise put us in a place to say, yeah, maybe this injunction isn't the right thing. Maybe Apple will win. And so we shouldn't have it in play until we've gotten a chance to opine as to what the district court found. Apple continues, the district court refused to stay its injunction, notwithstanding unequivocal evidence that immediate implementation threatens the integrity of the iOS ecosystem. Absent to stay, apps on the App Store will become less secure and less private. Users will be exposed to new scams while losing the benefits and services that Apple provides to protect them and differentiate itself from competitors. Developers will suffer from reduced user confidence and spending, and Apple will be forced to reconfigure the App Store, losing control of a critical component of its efficient and successful business model. Now, you don't have to agree with really anything that Apple says there. I think like any trial litigant or even appellant here, they tend to hyperbolize the situation at hand. None of this is wrong necessarily, but I'm not sure it would be an apocalypse for Apple. It is undoubtedly the case that Apple would have to change certain aspects of the way it does business. This is part of what we in virtual legality and elsewhere have been discussing is some of the misconceptions that developers at all have realized in social media and the internet. That the court, the district court, very specifically, time and time again, says this is a narrow holding, really just about telling people that there's another place to buy V-Bucks. And yet, 
developers and others have been reading it as, oh, we can have our own payment platform. We can use a payment platform that substitutes for Apple's. We can do things in our apps that take that money away. We can get out of the 30% cut. And the court never, ever said that. And Apple tried to explain to that district court, look, this is what people are seeing to Tim Sweeney and Epic's credit. They never claimed that. But Apple is right to say there is a whole host of misconceptions out there. And with that, we've got a problem. The district court didn't buy it. Again, the district court was very unlikely to go back on her opinion that she had just made and spent 200 pages explaining. That's completely understandable. But now Apple is making relatively the same complaint here. And most importantly to my eye is this final paragraph where they say, Apple respectfully asks this court to maintain the status quo by staying the injunction pending resolution of all appeals and by entering an administrative stay until 30 days after this motion is decided, Epic opposes the requested stay. And that status quo line you heard us talk about just a few videos ago when we talked about the fact that this injunction was a little bit unusual because it would change how Apple is operating. Very often an injunction prevents you from doing something. If you recall in this very court, this particular case had Apple enjoined from getting rid of the Unreal developers off of its platform. They were prevented from doing something that preserved the status quo. This injunction does the opposite. This injunction says you can't do something you're already doing. That requires you to change. And now Apple says, let's not do that. We've got good reason to say that there are problems here. Let's preserve that status quo. And very often in a tie kind of situation, there's doubt on both sides. The Ninth Circuit or any other circuit is looking at things on a kind of first glance type of way. You're going to get tie goes to the status quo because the court can defend that most easily. Now, we do talk about the traditional factors here in the Apple document that we've seen before here in virtual legality. Injunctions, favoring a stay, whether the stay applicant has made a strong showing that it will win, whether the applicant will be irreparably injured absent that stay, whether issuance of the stay will substantially injure the other parties and where the public interest lies. All that makes sense, right? Are you actually going to win this case, Apple? Because the more likely it is that you're going to win, the more likely it is we're going to find a problem with enjoining you from doing something right now. How are you going to be hurt if we don't do anything to protect you? And Apple here is saying, well, look, even if we're going to lose in the long run right now, we don't know that. And we'll have to change the way our ecosystem works. And the court is often going to pretty much like that type of argument to say, yeah, they are going to have to change. And that would be a misjustice if they ultimately wound up winning the case. Will Epic be hurt by this? Epic doesn't have a great case there because this particular language has been in the app developer guidelines for, I think Apple claims in this document, 10 years or more. Epic has worked with Apple throughout that period. And that's part of the problem with their case in general is Apple didn't really change anything to kind of lead to Epic bringing this claim to making the mega drop and doing other things as part of all of this. And so Epic's going to have its own problem telling the court that whatever needs to be done needs to be done immediately when it has otherwise been in the document for so long. And where the public interest lies is a little bit more amorphous. It's a little bit more equity-based and can really be argued in either direction. But we see Apple says, hey, we're going to win. UCL liability, unfair competition law in California really doesn't apply. It's one of those bits of law that's very ambiguous, kind of in the mind of the beholder here. So this is a typical argument. We saw them bring this to the district court itself. Epic lacks standing which is a bit of a novel argument. Effectively, Epic, by losing the first nine counts that they brought against Apple, lost standing. They're allowed to be kicked off the store. They don't have any reason to benefit from this. That's Apple's argument. It doesn't 
necessarily hold that much water. It's a little bit unusual because Epic is at the same time appealing the decision, the same time that Apple is appealing that decision. So it doesn't work fully. The UCL injunction is inequitable. They do bring up some good points about the fact the district court didn't really find the usual things you need to find to actually issue an injunction. District court failed to find whether Epic had proved irreparable injury, for instance. As shown above, Epic did not prove any harm to itself. The court bears statements that it finds the elements for equitable relief are satisfied and the injury has occurred and continues. Say nothing about any supposed irreparable injury to Epic, the actual party. The court system, remember, is not supposed to just make declarations on what's fair or unfair, but only decide the cases and controversies before it. And Epic did not independently challenge the anti-steering provisions in the complaint and barely address them at trial. We know this as observers of the entire trial process, but the UCL decision and the decision against the anti-steering rules was effectively a judge-created kind of concept. The judge looked at the situation before her, realized that Apple had basically won the day on the Sherman Antitrust Act, the California Analog Act, versions of all this, that Apple wasn't a monopolist, it had a single product. She had problems with the way they did business, as I think a lot of us do, but then looked at the anti-steering provision as something she found particularly problematic and put it under the California unfair competition law. So there isn't a lot of briefing. There isn't a lot of the trial that actually talks about the specifics here. Apple brings that up here and is much more likely to find a sympathetic ear at a different court, any different court, including the Ninth Circuit, than the district court that actually made the decision. Apple would suffer irreparable injury absent to stay, they argue. While there is no evidence of any injury to Epic from the anti-steering rules, the record leaves no doubt that Apple faces irreparable harm. Uniquely qualified to anticipate what would happen as a practical matter following the denial of stay, Apple's senior director of AppReview has studied the effect of the injunction and concluded that it will harm users, developers, and the iOS platform more generally. And obviously they're self-interested in this. They don't want to have to face the injunction, but they do talk about the fact that it will require a change to the App Store business model that will interfere with Apple's ability to efficiently collect its commission. That Apple has the right to the commission. The court says Apple has the right to the commission. The court talks about doing audits and having other methodologies of collecting that commission. And Apple looks at it and says, bare minimum, we would have to change how we operate. That is the kind of thing that is money and resource intensive. We need to have this injunction stayed. Then we get some of the more specious or at least projective kind of complaints. It will adversely affect iOS users because of the way the services function. It will adversely affect consumers. Apple has never permitted external payment links for purchase of digital goods and services. This will have clear consequences for Apple. It will expose users with much greater frequency to the risks of external payment links. All this stuff, which I know a number of my commenters, you all, have an issue with in terms of Apple's argument. But it is important to note that when the Ninth Circuit starts to look at this, the district court, the trial judge, actually did find that Apple had legitimate security and privacy concerns. And so the argument that if we have those legitimate concerns with the way we operate our IAP and the App Store itself, that there's a legitimacy to our preventing external links and things does tend to go together. It's the kind of argument that might well work at the circuit level. And if it might work, then you start to get into a situation where if you can combine that with, if we have to do this injunction, we're going to have to change our entire ecosystem in some fundamental ways. It's going to start to look pretty good to a very preliminary review on whether or not this injunction should go into effect two days from now, as of the time that I am making this video. They make the statement that this would not harm Epic, which we already talked about. And then in terms of the public interest, they say the public interest favors maintaining a status quo. 
while the appeal is resolved. Just as a functional matter, if we don't know what the final verdict is going to be, then we should favor a status quo because it wouldn't be fair to us who has to change our ecosystem and Epic wouldn't even be helped, et cetera, et cetera. If ultimately at the end of this, we're looking back and saying, oh, yeah, Apple won that whole case. I guess we shouldn't have made them change their business model a year ago or two years ago. And so it stays in the public interest because the status quo should always be in the public interest when we don't know how a court decision is going to be finally determined. The millions of consumers and developers who use the iOS platform every day have come to trust the App Store, yet the injunction requires Apple to permit developers to use Apple's own platform to offer advertising and links to less secure, less transparent, and less trustworthy external payment mechanisms. I use the breathless voice there because that's how I hear it when Apple says, oh my gosh, everything outside of us is less secure. What a wild world. Come to Apple. Our walled garden is secure. This will expose users to new harms and threats, harming participants on both sides. And then... Because this is coming up real fast, right? This is filed November 16th. It's like, given the December 9th deadline, we're really scared about actually having to implement this thing as of December 9th. Apple respectfully requests that the court issue an administrative stay to preserve the status quo until the substantive motion for a stay pending appeal can be considered on the merits. And this is like one notch even less reviewed, right? They say, all right, Ninth Circuit, we don't even know whether you're going to get to this before we need to know whether we have to actually comply with this injunction. So we're gonna ask for, you guys are busy. We know we might not get onto the calendar until after this date has passed. We need to, in the interest of preserving justice, get a specific 30-day extension, because otherwise we can't go back. If we have to make those changes or be held in contempt of a court order, that's gonna be a problem for us. And so they asked for this administrative stay. I'm actually surprised, quite frankly, that they haven't been granted that yet as of December 7th, 2021, two days from when the injunction would go into place. But this is what they asked of the Ninth Circuit. You might say, hey, that mirrors what they asked the district court. It absolutely does. And Epic's response basically mirrors what they said to the district court. They say, first, Apple argues that the injunction will interfere with Apple's ability to effectively collect its commission, but the injunction allows Apple to continue requiring developers to use Apple's IAP for all in-app sales. The only transactions on which Apple will not receive a commission are transactions that happen outside the app, such as on the web, on which Apple has never charged a commission. But Epic is alighting the point here, which is to say Apple is entitled in all likelihood to a bit of commission if you use a button in an app that is otherwise made available to you through the App Store to send somebody else outside the store. Yes, if you send an email, if you use only outside communications to get them over to your Epic Game Store or wherever else you're selling microtransaction currency makes total sense for Apple to get nothing. If you are instead getting that money through the use of a billboard on the Apple App Store in the app that was made available to them on that device, then Apple almost certainly has a right to something. Whether or not that's 30% is certainly up for debate, but that's where Epic is trying to get around all this. And this is why I thought Apple's argument to the district court, which again, was very unlikely to ever change their mind on any of this, was pretty effective. Epic isn't quite saying what everybody else is saying on the internet, that all hell has broken loose if this injunction goes through, which it won't, probably. But Epic is doing things like this, wildly suggesting that, whoa, if we use these buttons, we don't owe Apple anything, right? Epic's clearly got plans for that injunction if they can get it actually imposed. Importantly, at trial, Apple maintained that consumers have always had paths outside iOS apps to purchase digital content without Apple collecting a commission if those options constrained Apple's pricing. Apple cannot claim that its business model will be irreparably harmed if these existing out-of-app transaction alternatives become more salient. 
But again, we're not just talking about discussions. We're not just talking about descriptions. We're talking about links and buttons, whatever else might otherwise be enjoined. Second, Apple argues that the injunction will adversely affect iOS users for the reasons that we just talked about. Even if these supposed harms to users constitute harms to Apple, Apple's arguments wrongly suggest that the injunction prevents consumers from using IAP. It does not. Consumers who value IAP or Apple's promises of privacy can continue to make in-app purchases using IAP. The injunction simply gives consumers a choice by removing an artificial barrier that Apple had placed on developers' ability to advise consumers of other options. Apple's other arguments about the supposed dangers of external links are contradicted by the fact that thousands and thousands of iOS apps already have external payment mechanisms. Apple allows external links and payment solutions other than IAP for the purchases of physical goods and services like food or transportation. During trial, Apple did not show that these payment solutions impede its ability to protect the iOS ecosystem. And again, this was a fight throughout the trial. And one of the things that Epic is depending on, I think, is that the Ninth Circuit doesn't actually read the 185 pages from the district court that talks about the fact that there are distinctions in marketplace between physical and digital goods, that Apple really does have a cognizable legal and lawful ability to protect privacy and security in digital transactions that doesn't attach or lose attachment solely because they allow external mechanisms for physical goods that they aren't otherwise auditing or checking. So Epic is bringing in parts of the actual court decision that they lost to try to defend this single part that they won. I don't know that Epic won't ultimately win the appeal in the Ninth Circuit, but at this level, when we're talking about whether Apple should be forced to change some fundamental aspects of its business model, it just doesn't come across as a very strong argument for for Epic. Third, Apple argues that it will suffer harm because the injunction will expose users with much greater frequency to the risks of external payment links. Same kind of deflection from Epic. Fourth, Apple's argument that the implementation of the injunction would require costly technical and engineering changes lacks any factual basis in the record. I mean, I don't know who else you would actually have give this testimony, but the engineers at Apple, which Apple did. Epic says, Mr. Kosminska's declaration provides no detail regarding the required changes and the argument is belied by the existing buttons, external links, or other calls to action that direct customers to purchasing mechanisms permitted in apps selling physical goods or services. Again, relying on this distinction that the court acknowledged and accepted, and now that distinction is not allowing, according to Epic, Apple to complain about the injunction itself. Epic says they proved a UCL violation, which we talked about. Epic further says, after they talk about UCL for a few pages, that they continue to have standing, which I think they probably do. Uh, It's really close. It's an interesting and novel kind of argument from Apple. But Epic probably doesn't lose standing in the appeals court for the court that it, for the case that it brought, where it definitely did have standing. Granting the UCL injunction was within the district court's equitable authority. There's a fight a little bit about whether the California court here can impose an injunction across the entire nation. Epic would be harmed, they say. Apple's argument that there is no risk to, of harm to Apple if a stay is issued fails for the reasons explained above. But moreover, Apple's assertion that the court below found no harm to Epic mischaracterizes the district court's order as the district court found that Apple's commission rates depressed the royalties paid to Epic by the numerous companies who use the Unreal Engine for apps. It further found that Apple's commission rate suppresses competition in the industry generally and in which Epic Games operates. And this is a big, giant argument about whether you can have a court case that's brought on antitrust grounds that the person that's being accused of violating antitrust laws wins and then nevertheless have them lose a small portion of that case for an amorphous California law 
that talks about incipient antitrust violations, which effectively means that haven't happened. You didn't violate the antitrust laws. That's the rest of the court decision, but you might. You're really, really close to it. And so we're going to find a violation of this law. And that's going to be a bit of a problem in terms of convincing the Ninth Circuit or any other court to say, yes, that makes a lot of sense to us. That's always kind of the weakest portion of that case. Epic's got a tough argument to win if they don't otherwise get the whole case overturned, right? They could absolutely have a Ninth Circuit that's very sympathetic to Epic's argument, overturns the whole thing, and then the UCL comes with it. But as for how it's presented by the district court with them losing every single antitrust complaint and then winning this small bit of California's unfair competition law to win a nationwide injunction that will functionally change how Apple needs to operate, that was always an interesting decision and one that was pretty vulnerable to an appeals court changing it. So at this injunction stage, requesting a stay, I think it still remains more likely than not that the Ninth Circuit will in fact give the stay here, but it hasn't yet. The court should deny Apple's alternative request for administrative stay, says Epic. Apple was given 90 days. It has offered no explanation for its 28 delay before seeking a stay. To the contrary, Apple publicly and privately indicated that the injunction was not a serious problem. Apple also declined to seek additional time for compliance. Having chosen to proceed this way, Apple is not entitled to an administrative stay, which would delay the freer flow of information and the increased competition that will arise from the district court's injunction. Now, it's unclear exactly whether if Apple had appealed it on day one, the Ninth Circuit could have actually reached it, but it's a good argument from Epic. Hey, they didn't even file for an appeal and stay for a while, so why should they get an administrative stay now? And yet, I do think Apple's argument is the more compelling. Also interesting as part of this series of documents that Florian Mueller put up, we see here Apple objecting to the Coalition for App Fairness attempting to file an amicus brief, a friend of the court brief, in respect of the appeal itself. It says the Coalition for App Fairness and four of its members have moved for leave to file an amicus brief opposing Apple's motion to stay the permanent injunction pending resolution of these appeals. Apple frequently consents to amicus filings, but is compelled to respond here because CAF has failed to inform the court that it is not an independent non-party. We've done videos on the Coalition for App Fairness. It is clearly a megaphone for Epic Games. And as Apple says here under Rule 29A, only non-parties may submit briefs as amicus curiae. This rule makes good sense. An amicus curiae does not represent the parties, but participates only for the benefit of the court. Tells the court how this is going to affect folks that aren't a party to the decision. And Amicus Curie will probably be filing on behalf of both parties as a function of this particular appeal. It's very important to a lot of folks, but they aren't independent from Epic. As the district court found, Epic created the Coalition for App Fairness in 2020 as part of a broader scheme. Schemes a little on the nose. Epic dubbed Project Liberty. Epic was then in control of CAF, charging it with generating continuous media and campaign tactic pressure on Apple even hiring and paying for a consultant to help establish a reason for CAF to exist, either organic or manufactured. Yeah, that that slide was always interesting, right? Evidence admitted at trial likewise confirms Epic's control of CAF. A July 27th, 2020 presentation to Epic's board of directors laid out Project Liberty Plan in detail, explaining that Epic would form a coalition in July and lead that coalition of other leading tech companies in a PR and policy campaign against Apple's 30% commission. In light of these adjudicated facts, the statement in the proposed beef that CAF is an independent nonprofit organization is false. Hey, they're liars, your honor. CAF is not independent of Epic, yet CAF chose not to disclose to this court even that Epic is a member, much less that Epic created and controls CAF. Now, I don't like 
to make bets on how a judge is going to rule on any given motion. But I will say, this is probably the strongest argument of any document that we've seen. There's no question in my mind that the CAF is a mouthpiece for Epic Games. And so I do think that this will find success with the court. Uh, and, And maybe Epic will be able to complain about some of Apple's coalitions and some of their mouthpieces as well. No doubt Apple has those. Uh, but this is the kind of thing where the Coalition for App Fairness is Epic Games for all purposes here. They shouldn't, they shouldn't be filing a separate brief. And then we have one final bit of filing from November 30th, still without a decision by the court, still without a stay or a rejection of the stay or an administrative stay or anything else. And Apple files a response to Epic's motion, says, hey, we've got a little bit more precedent here. There's no basis for unfair competition law liability at all. They say, we've got some quotes. An independent claim under California's UCL is barred so long as the defendant's activities are lawful under the antitrust laws. Epic parrots a footnote in which the district court attempted to distinguish that case, but that approach has already been rejected by this court. Then it's always fun to quote that court back to them. Where the same conduct is alleged to support both a plaintiff's federal antitrust claims and state law unfair competition claim, a finding that the conduct is not an antitrust violation precludes a finding of unfair competition. I got I to gotta say, I don't know what that case says, and maybe there's reasons to believe that this quote is taken out of context. If it's not, that's a pretty damning quote. If they actually have a quote from the Ninth Circuit that says, in an antitrust context, if you lose all your antitrust claims, you also have to lose the California unfair competition claim. Yeah, that's, that's going to be a high hill to climb for Epic, unless the Ninth Circuit moves to reverse the entirety of the antitrust holding at the district court level. District court disagreed with that case, raising at least a substantial question as to whether the UCL judgment is consistent with the court's precedent. The testimony from app developers touted by Epic all involved subscription apps, which the court found are not part of this case. Epic argues that the UCL does not require a full-blown market definition exercise of the kind to undertake in Sherman Act cases. That is wrong, says Apple. But in any event, it lies the question of whether a court can avoid any consideration of the relevant market. This is actually a very interesting point, which we saw Apple raise at the district court level. Again, because of the way this trial unfolded, that last charge is where the court just decides to do something against Apple. Apple had earned its ire throughout a big section of the process. Apple had some bad answers. The court was clearly irritated with the way they conducted business. And I think justifiably so, certainly in some respects. And so she was going to do something about this at the end of the case. And then comes up with, well, we don't need to think about whether it's the game digital transactions market that we were talking about. We don't need to think about it's your market, Apple, or your market, Epic. It's essentially all apps, and it applies not just to California, but to the entire country. I think there's a line in the court opinion that says, I can see no reason to differentiate between apps and that kind of thing. Apple rightly brings up, we're way off the normal standards here, Ninth Circuit. And so she didn't argue for any specific market. She didn't do any specific analysis. And she just imposed this injunction against us because she found a problem on a kind of equitable level with the language. And I think reasonable minds can look at that language and say, yeah, there's probably a problem with it. But reasonable minds can also look at the actual trial court that was put up and say, whatever that court was deciding, it wasn't about anti-steering or the market that it affects, certainly not across the country, certainly not with respect to all apps, neither Epic or Apple briefed that. And so perhaps the Ninth Circuit might allow the stay, might actually overturn the injunction for those reasons with the understanding that a better position plaintiff, certainly better position than Epic, how many times have I said that, could bring that claim with better effect, with better arguments, against the anti-steering provision itself, but maybe this case did not do that. Then, of course, we have reference to Amex, 
which was a case in which anti-steering provisions were held to be pro-competitive, as said specifically by the Ninth Circuit in Qualcomm. Use of anti-steering clauses is pro-competitive and innovative in the particular facts and circumstances of that case. The Supreme Court detailed the ways in which anti-steering provisions reduce transaction friction, increasing interbrand competition, and allowing recoupment of investment in a two-sided platform. Here, the district court found that the App Store is a two-sided transaction platform and that Apple's IAP requirement serves identical pro-competitive purposes, yet ignored those benefits when considering the anti-steering provisions which enforce the IAP requirement. Then we go back to Epic lack standing, and I don't think this is what this actual decision will turn on. That's why I'm skipping it a little bit in these documents, but they fight back and forth. Epic's gone. No, we're not. Epic's gone, etc. One side will win, but it's probably not how this decision is going to be based. The UCL injunction is inequitable. We saw this already. Again, an argument that the district court didn't actually go through the process of explaining why an injunction should issue. Apple will suffer irreparable harm. Talked about that. And there's some additions here in the most recent response, but a lot of copying, and I don't want to waste your time. Stay still wouldn't harm Epic. A stay is still in the public interest, and we should still get that administrative stay. Hey, oh my God, says Apple, it's November 30th. Are you guys going to say anything at all to us? Because we're a little worried now. It's uh, it's nine days. You going to say anything? And again, if I'm betting, and I don't bet on these kinds of things, but if I'm betting, if you want to think in your head, hey, what does Hogue think is going to happen here? I still think that the stay is going to be issued. I think that the status quo for a conservative court, and I don't mean conservative on politics, I mean conservative in maintaining the way things are. I think a conservative court, which all courts are at a fundamental level, will say, let's go through the full appeals process. Let's not upturn the apple cart, which is the same pun I use on this particular point in all of my videos. And let's wait to see how things play out. Epic doesn't have a real great case for saying they're super injured by any of this because one, Fortnite's on the, not on the store anymore. Two, Apple has the right to kick off the Unreal developers. And once you have the right to kick the developers off completely, it's a little bit hard to make the case that the specific provision that they're operating under and they have operated under for a decade is causing them so much harm that it's urgent that that be replaced when Apple has the right to just kick you off. And three, because it makes sense in this particular context where Apple actually does have a legitimate case about how the UCL was used for this purpose and all things being equal, in general, the court case as decided by the district court is mostly going to survive in most instances. Now, this is not most instances. This is a super high profile, high technology case. The Ninth Circuit's going to do its homework. It's going to look at all these various issues. I can't tell you whether they'll change things. But at this stage, when you're going to have a very preliminary review, in all likelihood, I do see this stay getting issued and Apple not having to change its business model on this point until this appeal actually gets finalized. We'll see how it goes though. I made this video because I wanted to check up on how this case was going. I hadn't really read any articles on it. And I looked at the timer and I said, hey, it's two days. Figured you'd be interested. If you like these talks, if you find value in them, again, we are Patreon supported. Thanks again to Falcus Vipus. If you're interested in supporting the channel, please do check out those links in the description or just subscribing to the channel, telling your friends that we're here, having these discussions, upvotes, dislikes. I still like dislikes. I'm going to find a way to show them to you that is a little bit better than just pinning a comment, but dislike this video if you don't like what I had to say or if you just feel like hitting the dislike button because you miss it. That's okay too. Otherwise, if you caught this on YouTube, thank you so much for watching. And if you listen to it as a podcast, thank you so much for listening. And I will catch you on the very next episode of Virtual Legality.
Virtual Legality is a YouTube video series with audio podcast versions presented as commentary and for education and entertainment purposes only. It does not constitute legal advice and does not create an attorney-client relationship. If you have legal questions about the topics discussed, please consult your own legal counsel.